Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we're talking about Thelma and Louise. Two best friends set out on an adventure, but it soon turns into a terrifying escape from being hunted by the police as they escape from the crimes they committed. Dun, dun. Oh, Ridley Scott, you've never met a movie you couldn't over-direct into oblivion. I mean, this is a classic, classic, classic movie. Um, Is it, though? It, well, okay. Is it classic? Yeah, it is. Because this was the one of the first movies that we have where the, the only two leads are women, they're best friends, and they're doing something bad. The, okay, look. Everything about this movie is great mm-hmm. right up until the directing, which does not know whether to take itself seriously or make this a buddy comedy. It's so uneven. Uh, uneven is fair. Completely agree with the uneven of this movie. But I think some of that has to do with like we hadn't had we hadn't had a movie like this before. Well, I, let's be very clear. A woman should have been directing this movie. Yes, because women should have been directing at least half of all the movies from the beginning of time. But especially this movie. Also, yes. <laughs> but I... that but that's why like the films about women that are directed by women have more of the nuance that we're missing from this film. I don't hate this movie, but there is a level at which our director really, really just pushed it too far into the realm of what he thinks is good and not into the realm of what the story needed. Mm -hmm. This needs to be a much, it's weird to say slower, but it it needs to be a much more methodical, nuanced portrayal because every once in a while they hit the points. They Mm -hmm. hit the points really, really well. Mm -hmm. But half the other time, the tone is just completely wrong for the discussions that are being held. I don't know about that. There's a lot about this that I, I was I was really wanting a whole lot more. So that's okay. We don't know why these two women are friends. And so I feel like that's where we miss an opportunity because they are so different. And we learn, which I think this is actually really great, that Louise has picked up and left before. She has started over her life. So that prospect is not as scary to her. And yet she is the one that's more terrified of the consequences involved. Because I don't know that she's terrified so much as she's aware. She knows what this is going to be. And she also probably knows her friend is not tough enough for this. Like her friend isn't going to be able to cut it. She's not going to have the resolve. She's not going to be able to do this. Except her friend has more resolve than she does. By the end. A little bit. I I think Thelma just gets to a place where she's like, I got nothing, so I have nothing to lose. I feel like we watched two different movies. We kind of did. I think we took so much differently from it, but I think that also speaks to like the, the male-female perspective here. Uh, well, I, I think it also just speaks to the complexity of the story. It is an incredibly complex story, and that's... I have no problem giving credit to the writing Mm -hmm. and the structure and the story being told i just part of me just has a huge problem with a man directing this movie i don't know look it's a good movie it's my first impression is this is a very cool movie i just wish there was more (laughs) 
I wish there was a whole lot more about the characters and a whole lot less about this like weird manhunt side story action movie thing of it, which just feels off. Mm. The budget for this film was $16,500,000. That's roughly $36 million in today's money. Yeah, that sounds right. It grossed $45,500,000, or roughly $99 million. It tripled its budget. It's pretty good. For a tiny two-woman film. That's pretty good. I say tiny. It's not really tiny. It's a giant production that they did here. Yeah, but still relatively untested two-women drama film. It's a risk, for sure. Yeah. A writer... Because we jump straight to writing. There's not a whole lot of trivia about this movie, interestingly okay. enough. Is Callie Curry. This was her writing debut. Okay. She had written early drafts in longhand at home and then transcribed them on a K-Pro computer when she was working at night. She just had this idea in her head, but had no intention of, uh, you know, Do ever making it any big thing. That's cool. The original script was finished in 1984. Mm. That was the first draft. And then over the years, she refined it and refined it. And she had every intention of directing this herself. She wanted to do it in a low budget with a pseudo documentary style just to make her own project and these women come to life. That's cool. After this, she wrote Something to Talk About, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. She created Nashville on television and wrote the film Respect. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Nashville fizzled out really bad, but the concept, great. First two seasons, really enjoyed. What do we think of the writing of this movie? It's not great. We saw two different movies. I love, I like the story. I really do. I think we could have used a more experienced writer to maybe fix the, some of the dialogue. And, and, and maybe that would have like cleaned up some of the one-liners that you felt like you were watching with Thelma. Well. Or add some, add some color. Okay, let, let's put it more this way. Everything with Thelma and or Louise is incredible. Mm -hmm. Everything with ancillary characters is pretty meh. It's it's less interesting for sure. Yeah, I I could have done without several of the quote unquote main characters that pop up here. Yeah, I mean, we could if if we could have spent more time on the road with Thelma and Louise and less time with the manhunt for them. It would probably be a better movie. Now, there are some side characters who I think are awesome, mm -hmm. and we'll get to them. Okay. Um, but I kind of wish it was Thelma and Louise and a bunch of Arpons. Well, that's kind of what it ends up being anyways, but I, I will agree the manhunt aspect, while I think is still really interesting to the story, could have been written better. Just tighten that up for me, you know? Like, it, it does not need to be a whole... I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of a two-hour movie? I think the amount is fine. I think the content is bland compared to the scenes that are really about the women. Um, I think the stuff with um, the Brad Pitt character is fine. Yeah, no, no. That that's, that's probably the one that is probably has the best payoff. JD's character is absolutely fantastic. And some of that has to do with the majesty of Brad Pitt. But there's also just a ton of really great writing going on there. And I think some of the stuff with Jimmy, Michael Madsen's character, is really great, too. Mm -hmm. Especially his whole discussion with Louise in the hotel room and, mm -hmm. and all of the talking and 
hashing out all the problems they had in their relationship and she's trying to hide the fact of what actually happened. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot there, but I don't know. Everything with the cops just reads so bland Mm. and it's wild because of the actors involved, but it just, it it falls flat on the page. And again, I, I guess it's really just more, I love these women so much. Why don't we just spend all of our time with them? Mm hmm. That's all we need. We don't need anymore. It's putting a hat on a hat. So yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the bigger issues here is, but I mean, then you get Thelma and Louise and, you know, for all those problems, it leaves you with this beautiful, beautiful perspective of those two. I mean, that final scene has been parodied to hell and my God, is it still incredibly moving <laughs> because it hits, it hits hard. No, I don't. No, man. I don't. Yeah, we really did watch two we different watched movies. Watched two different movies. Yeah, I. I don't feel. I think I don't get the hat on a hat stuff. I just really don't. We like the writing of these two ladies. That's that's what we we know. do. We do. And major points for the audacity and the just sheer force of will to write this story and just keep pushing it for nearly a decade before somebody goes, you know, actually, this would be a really good idea to make this movie. Now, let's get to Ridley Scott, who we've talked about on this show. Okay. Before this, he directed The Duelists, Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, Someone to Watch Over Me, and Black Rain. After this, 1492, Conquest of Paradise, White Squall, G.I. Jane, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood, Prometheus, The Counselor, Exodus, Gods and Kings, Alien Covenant, All the Money in the World, The Last Duel, and House of Gucci. Coming soon, he is directing Napoleon, an untitled alien prequel, and Gladiator 2. You're gonna kill him again? <laughs> I'd have no fucking clue. Oh, it's been a long time since I saw Gladiator. <laughs> that also seems like, I think I've seen that before, is just like an in-development thing that's never made it out of in-development. I don't know. I think uh, What's-His-Butt is bored enough now that he'll do it. Well, you do know who is playing Napoleon, don't you? Uh, is it Jason Schwartzman? No, it is Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, fuck that. Fuck that noise. Apparently he's incredible. Ridley has nothing but great things to say about him. He'll probably be fucking fantastic. Joaquin is a very good actor. He, he, he truly is. What do we think of the directing of this movie? I agree that scenes are uneven. But like I said before, I don't see that as just, this is a problem with Ridley Scott. He's a director, so clearly he's at fault for a portion of that. Some of that I think is the writing. Because I think if we had, you know, better dialogue... And also some better stitched together pieces, especially of the manhunt pieces of, of the police crap, then he could have done well with those uh, or he could have done better. So while is it his best? Absolutely not. But is it as bad as you've been talking about it? I don't think so. Let me clarify by saying he's over directing a movie. He's notorious for so, you know, he makes these really incredible movies like mm-hmm. Alien. Black Hawk Down, people talk about. Gladiator's a great movie. A little overdone, but a great movie. And then he makes these, you know, pet projects like Kingdom of Heaven Mm -hmm. and Exodus Gods and Kings, where everybody's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're just throwing money on a pile and burning it. Okay, but a lot of directors do that. 
Gates. Yes, House of Gucci. Yeah, but but other directors do that stuff. They do a film that is just so much their vision and they're able to execute it amazingly. Okay, like Blade Runner. But then they do a film that they're just like, well, I'm going to have some fun with this. I'm going to get paid a lot of money. And if it's good, if you think it's good, great. If you don't, I don't give a fuck because I had fun and I made a fuck ton of money. House of Gucci. Like, I, <laughs> like that's okay. He's not the only director who does that. You you sound like you're making it like this is a Ridley Scott problem. Well, hold, hold on. No. I think what he did here was that he pushed he pushed the landscape and the setting so far front mm-hmm. and pushed the women back. The whole time, I feel like the movie's fighting against the fact that it's about Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. And he's like trying to somehow through his directing spur up interest in all these other side characters and side plots. And I'm like, can we just get back to these two? I don't give a shit about the landscape at the Mexican border. I don't care about a truck explosion, though it is very funny. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> like, I feel like his choices continually drum up the action element and take away from what is really amazing about this movie. And what I would have loved to have seen is somebody like a Catherine Bigelow make this movie, who would have brought those same elements of action and who we would have shown that stuff off, but who also would have spent a shit ton more time with these two. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is where I'm perturbed by it. He's not doing some overbloated, terrible job. That's, that's too harsh, mm-hmm. by far. But I do think he's over-directing it in the sense of he's missing the point that it's about Thelma and Louise. Mm. And we spend all this time looking at all this other stuff, and I'm like, but I don't care. They would be driving for the Canadian border for all I care. I don't care where they're going. I just want to follow these two characters. And they wouldn't have to try so hard to avoid Texas. Yeah. I mean, and, and so I, I do get it. I just think he got so caught up in all of the, you know, the plot elements and making, and making it a spectacle because, you know, it's interesting. One of the things they talked about when he made Alien, which I love. I love Alien. One of the things was was that it was written by guys who envisioned it as a really, really low-budget, schlocky sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. And when Ridley came in, he said, no, we're going to give it a budget. We're going we're gonna to actually fund this movie, and we're going to put the special effects in, and we're going to make it as real as possible, because that's how you're going to get the horror. Mm-hmm. I think in this instance, he did the same thing, but he did it at the cost of some of the character study. Because he got so wrapped up in wanting to make this story a big budget movie. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Like an effort. Mm-hmm. Like it's noble. He realizes this is a big deal. We're telling a, we're, we're telling a female-centered story for one of the first times. So let's make it a real movie. But then he lost the thread to me. I, I, I just don't see it as being that bad like i i recognize what you're pointing out in the film that's flawed but i feel like it's a script and director problem yeah i think you're right like that's where it is like his direction perfect no is the writing perfect also no if the script had been perfect then i would be more mad at him because i would and and he still did those types of things it'd be like no the dialogue's great but they're delivering it horribly or they cut it in a bad way or I don't see it as big of a crime as you do. Mm, mm, okay. Something about it, too, is just like a story this intense about women. Could we not have just had a woman direct it, please? Well, 
no, we couldn't. There's a there's a little bit of that grumpiness going on there too. I, I won't lie. <laughs> well, it's in the past. If they made this film today and they didn't have a female at the helm, I would then, I would then yes, we could just complain about that for hours, but we we can't fix it now. All right. Well, Ridley Scott used Terrence Malick's Badlands from 1973 as the inspiration for the look of the film. Uh, that's set up in like the Montana, Idaho area. Um, okay. Great, great movie from the 70s. But at one point, Sarandon joked that her friends thought she was insane to star in a movie in the desert during the heat of summer with Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. Because Ridley Scott was known for making actors do multiple, multiple takes. Mm-hmm. Look, in recent years, Ridley has continued to run his mouth and say like really stupid shit. And it's like, you might kind of be an asshole, dude. I don't think there's a kind of about it. Some of the shit he said after House of Gucci was like, oh, okay, fuck you. The final scene required absolute perfect timing with the light falling and a holiday looming. They could not get this shot again until like weeks in. <laughs> to get the final scene completed, he had literally 45 minutes hmm. to orchestrate it, get the car in place, and get the shot. That's cool. They used 24 police cars and three different helicopters. Hmm. Now, the studio desperately wanted a less downbeat ending. Oh, God. They could not come up with a better ending, though. They, they tried to pitch everything, and they just went, and yeah, we don't have a better option. <laughs> All right. And honestly, Ridley considered having Louise push Thelma out of the car so that she would survive. Mm-hmm. But that means nothing at that point. <laughs> You have taken all of the emotional weight of this relationship out by doing that. Yeah, because the part of the point is that they they are accepting their fate and they're going to face it together. Yes, like that's like that's what's supposed to be interesting and like that's what makes it like such a beautiful like film to female friendship. Because yeah, if one of them pushes the other one, the other one's just going to jail. Like there's not that's not upbeat. You didn't save them. And it's and it's just grief at that point. Yeah. Because the point of that moment is not, you know, this dark, twisted ending. The point of that moment is we're in this together mm-hmm. through everything we committed. And everything's sealed in those last few scenes before they ever get to the canyon and the cops are there. Mm-hmm. Before they get to the Grand Canyon, it's just like, yeah, it's it's Butch and Sundance. Like it's over. This is it. We're, we're in it until it's done. Mm-hmm. You're not going to give up on me, are you? What do you mean? You're not going to make a deal with that guy? I mean, I just want to know. Thelma, I'm not making any deals. I mean, I don't understand if you're thinking about it. In a way, you got something to go back for. Jimmy and Jim is not an option. But, uh, I don't know, you know, something's, like, crossed over in me, and I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. I know what you mean. And they're not going to jail, because in their minds, they've done... They've done only the right thing. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, it's absolutely dark, but it's the only appropriate ending for the story that you're telling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
He did actually film a longer version that showed the car actually plunging into the canyon while playing a a downbeat B.B. King song. Uh, But instead, when they used the Hans Zimmer score to the car driving off the cliff, it just fits so perfectly. Hmm. So um, what we got is iconic. Yeah. Who could have been better? Because originally, Ridley was the producer of this film. Okay. Over 40 different directors were considered for the movie. Wow. And I've, I've listed some of the uh, different names involved here. First of all, Richard Donner, who did Superman and Lethal Weapon, really wanted to direct the movie. Mm-hmm. He called the script historic because they recognized this is a big fucking deal. Yeah. However, he wanted his own wife to produce, and Ridley was pissed off about that because, you know, it cut into his profit. Sure. So then Ridley considered his brother, Tony Scott, uh, who made Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, they considered Joe Pitka, who uh, had mainly done music videos and would go on to direct Space Jam. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah S. Chechik, who directed Christmas Vacation and Benny in June. Mm-hmm. Chris Menges, who was the cinematographer for The Mission and The Killing Fields. So he's got a good eye. Mm-hmm. Kevin Reynolds, who directed Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Waterworld. <laughs> Waterworld's a good movie. Y'all don't sleep on that. It bombed because nobody understood it, but it's a great movie. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I remember seeing it in the theaters and being like, that was fun. That was different. Yeah, it's a cool movie. It just too many people were like, he drinks his own pee? Ew. Which, to be fair, it is gross, but you know. Jonathan Kaplan, who directed The Accused and later Broke Down Palace. Philip Noyce, who directed Patriot Games, The Saint, and The Bone Collector. Mm. Harry Hook, who did the 1990 Lord of the Flies. and Original Monkeys producer turned director Bob Raffleson, who directed Five Easy Pieces and The King of Marvin Gardens. He had a big run in the 70s. Hmm. 40 different directors. Guarantee you there wasn't a woman among them. Of course not. Again, give me 90s Catherine Bigelow making this movie any day of the week. I want to see it. I want to see what her vision would have been. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, the next year she made Point Break. We talked about what a great movie that is and how it examines masculinity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, have her make this fucking movie. <sighs> okay, yeah. let's talk about the thing that is undisputedly great in this film. Okay. And that is our cast. Yes. And we start with the bigger star at the time, Susan Sarandon as Louise. Mm-hmm. Before this, she was in Joe, The Front Page, The Great Waldo Pepper, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Other Side of Midnight, Atlantic City, The Hunger, The Witches of Eastwick, and Bull Durham. After this, Bob Roberts, Lorenzo's Oil, The Client, Little Women, Dead Man Walking, James and the Giant Peach, Stepmom, Cradle Will Rock, Rugrats in Paris, Igby Goes Down, The Banger Sisters, Alfie, Elizabethtown, In the Valley of Elaw, Enchanted. Speed Racer, The Lovely Bones, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, Jeff Who Lives at Home, Arbitrage, That's My Boy, Cloud Atlas, Feud, A Bad Mom's Christmas, and Ray Donovan. And coming soon, she will be in Blue Beetle. Hmm. What do we think of Susan Sarandon in this movie? She's fabulous. She's perfect. I mean, she's so good. (laughs) She's like, you know, she's the, the waitress who can do it all. You know, she's a good friend. You know, she's telling her friend, like, your husband's a jackass, but also let's go hang out. Like, you just like, let's blow off some steam together. Like, you know, she's a good friend and, uh, you know, she's tough. Are you up to this? I mean, I got to know. 
This isn't a game. I'm in deep shit, and I gotta know what you're gonna do. I don't know. I don't know, Louise. I mean, uh, I don't know what you're asking. Now, don't you, don't you start flaking out. I mean, God damn it, Thelma. Every time we get in trouble, you just get blank or, or, or pleading sanity or some such shit. Not this time. I mean, this time, things have changed. Everything's changed. But I'm going to Mexico. I'm going. On the surface, she's the one who has it all together. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the movie, you realize just how much force of will it took to get there. Mm-hmm. She's the one who's been through the most hell. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny because she had that sort of like magical version of this in Bull Durham mm-hmm. where, you know, just this heart of gold and world weary, but also charming. And in this one, it's so much more real. Like, it's very just totally natural and believable. And, you know, Bull Durham is basically a baseball fairy tale. Like, it made sense for that movie. But in this one, it, you're just getting to see what Susan Sarandon is so good at as an actress, which is just being so natural and real on screen. Mm-hmm. Not afraid to be sexy and, you know, fully a woman, and, but also just being real. Hmm. And like this movie showcases that immensely. She's fantastic. Oh yeah. She's I mean, she's just interesting. Now, she apparently um first of all was not the first choice and casting for this role took so much longer mm-hmm. than it took to get Thelma. In fact, it took so long that our other cast member, Gina Davis was poised to take on one or the other role if needed because they were having such a hard time finding a Louise. Mm. That leads us over to Gina Davis Mm -hmm. as Thelma. Before this, she was in Tootsie, then a lot of television, Fletch, Transylvania 6, 5000, The Fly, Beetlejuice, Earth Girls Are Easy, The Accident, and Quick Change. After this, A League of Their Own, Hero, Cutthroat Island, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Stuart Little, Stuart Little 2, Stuart Little 3, Call of the Wild, Commander-in-Chief on Television, The Exorcist, Grey's Anatomy, Glow, and coming soon, she's going to be in both Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities and Zoe Kravitz's upcoming thriller, Pussy Island. Mm. What do we think of Gina Davis in this movie? I love her. Also fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. The writing and directing can feel really naughty and thorny for Thelma for the first half of the movie mm-hmm. because Gina to me is the one who brings all of the real vulnerability because I think on the page it just reads like she's she's totally oblivious totally oblivious totally oblivious holy shit she's a badass mm-hmm. like just on its face Gina does all of the work to layer it in so that when that switch happens you believe it we don't see as much of an arc if you're just kind of looking at the bare bones story. Mm-hmm. She provides all of that. She does. She she provides the interesting, and you can see what what I, what I think is the most interesting is that once she gives herself permission, she's a loose cannon. Oh I mean, God. you know, I was like, I think I got a real knack for for robbery. <laughs> Did it. It's crazy. 
I just feel like I got a knack for this shit. I believe you do. God like hell. Like, it's just like this, this is where, this is what unhinged Thelma is. And like, this is interesting. That's quite a that's quite a, a swap. And Lord knows you could write women's study paper after women's study paper on this movie and sure. you know, feminine energy and mm-hmm. anything like that. But I think really what it points to is like, yeah, there's some unevenness with how Thelma's given on a, on the page. Mm-hmm. Gina provides so much to the character that mm-hmm. there's a lot there for you to grab onto and buy that no matter what. Yeah. And makes what's kind of a wacky character really believable and in the end really poignant. Because, you know, she feels like the most dangerous one in the end. Mm-hmm. But you don't blame her. No. <laughs> She's been through fucking hell. Well, and I think that's the most important thing is for the audience that is really good about the script is that they give us a reason for everything they did. Yeah. Like, is it great? No. But we're on, like, we have to... Not be on their side, but understand their train of thought. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for the sex scenes with Gina and Brad Pitt, Ridley Scott assumed a body double would be needed. However, right before auditioning doubles, Gina Davis went in and demanded that none were needed. She was going to do the scenes herself. Mm -hmm. This also led to some very interesting timing because the day after filming wrapped, she separated from second husband Jeff Goldblum. Mm. Neither of them ever said anything about it. But gossip columnist Liz Smith reported Davis as having gone, quote, bananas over Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to blame her if she did, because holy shit. I mean, maybe just she realized that her pretend fun with Brad was better than her real life with Jeff. Yeah, entirely you possible. Know, like, can you blame her? That's exactly. I mean, I'm sure Jeff was very interesting and fun, but it's Brad. Now, who could have been better? Mm-hmm. Because we have teams. Oh, sure. Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep. No. They were poised to take a script that right around that time, they decided on Death Becomes Her instead. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Death Becomes Her, so like, I think they are better suited to that, honestly. Here's a really good one for our previous movie. Mm. Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster. Oh, that would have been interesting. Both up for Clarice Starling. Yeah. Uh, They were chosen for the leads, but pre-production took too long and they had to drop for their other commitments. Mm -hmm. And Pfeiffer had actually pitched for Ridley Scott to direct the movie. Oh, interesting. She, She felt like he had what it took to do it rather than produce it. I would love to see it. Mm hmm. That would have been interesting, yeah. How about Holly Hunter as Thelma and Francis McDormand as Louise? Oh, yeah. Those two together would have been really good. Those are the two actresses that Callie Curry wrote with them in mind. Oh, I love that. That's great. So that's who she envisioned in those roles. And I, again, would love to see those two. Mm-hmm. Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep, it would have been a buddy comedy. Hmm. That's what they would have turned it into. Yeah. Especially with Goldie, who can act please don't get me wrong goldie can actually act but i don't think they would have let her yeah okay now we have uh some of these guys because we have to talk about them mm-hmm. which uh, most of them are fine how about harvey Keitel as hal he is a four-timer on this fucking show yeah this is our fifth movie we've talked about harvey fucking Keitel. yeah taxi driver reservoir dogs the piano and the grand budapest hotel 
he has nothing to work with. And I love Harvey Keitel, but you have to give the man something to work with. Yeah, he's trying real hard. He's Harvey Keitel. The accent doesn't help. I love you, Harvey, but the you your southern accent is just not not okay. You you got to keep it to your your gruff Brooklyn or just your plain northeastern accent. I I can't do the weird southern Arizona oaky accent thing for you. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it just he's doing his damnedest, but there's literally nothing on the page for him. No. You know, he gets some good emotional weight, especially there at the end, like him walking out and trying to stop him is huge. It's not very earned. No, it's not at all. But it bless his heart. He's Harvey fucking Keitel. I can't blame him for trying. Let's talk about somebody who I actually think is really good. Michael Madsen as Jimmy. He he was pretty good. Yeah. He of Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. He's in Wyatt Earp. Every random straight to video thriller you could ever think of. And of course, he's a huge favorite of Quentin. Yeah, he's really vulnerable. Yeah, he's really subtle, which is not something I always think of when I think of Michael Madsen. No, no you think more of like that dude's intense. Although I forget the fact that he's in fucking Free Willy. Yeah, and he's not the bad guy. I think he's like the dad in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I like this is this is one of those really great turns because yeah, he's he's a bit of a hood, mm-hmm. but you know. They're all pretty kind of working class people, but especially those hotel scenes, they're just really good acting on from both of them. And the chemistry mm-hmm. between him and Susan Sarandon it's is fabulous. Just really, really solid. Well, my taxi's here. So, uh, why don't you just keep that? I just want you to be happy. I am happy, sweetie. Happy as I can be. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, why don't you give old Jimmy a kiss? Goodbye. And uh, I'll be getting out of here. Come here, old Jimmy. I mean, I, I, I don't, it's pretty hard not to have chemistry with Susan Sarandon because that's just Susan fucking Sarandon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but still, like, this is, this is a real, like, high point for him, I think. All right, let's talk about our comic relief with the biggest blowhard King of Smarm trademarked. I put it on here as a TM. Mm. Christopher McDonald as Daryl. Before this, he was in Grease 2, Break-In, Chances Are. After this, Dutch, Fatal Instinct, Grumpy Old Men, Terminal Velocity, Quiz Show, Happy Gilmore as the bad guy, it's Shooter McGavin. House Arrest, Leave it to Beaver, Flubber, Dirty Work, SLC Punk, The Faculty, The Iron Giant, The Skulls, Requiem for a Dream, The Perfect Storm, The Man Who Wasn't There, Grind, Rumor Has It, The House Bunny, Boardwalk Empire, and Hacks. And coming soon, he will be in the Romeo and Juliet comedy, Rosaline. Hmm. What do we think of Christopher McDonald in this movie? I mean, he only plays assholes. He only plays assholes, and he plays a really great asshole in this one. I mean, dude's making fuck ton of money being an asshole, so good on you. That's your brand. This is one of the few times where it's like, you were in this movie a perfect amount. Mm-hmm. You showed up. You gave the exact right notes you needed to give. You were menacing when you needed to be menacing. 
and you were completely and utterly useless by the end. Yeah. I kind of love that, that early on, it's he's he's a blowhard, mm-hmm. but he's also kind of threatening. Yeah. And by the end, you're like, nice fucking tool. He's completely useless. He can't do anything. Don't, le- don't let on that he knows something. Hello? He knows. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> it's great. It's the best. Hello. Daryl, it's me. Hello. Hello. He knows. <laughs> and and he says it in those hello. Well, hello. <laughs> the fake oh. nice way he could the ever say nice it. The fake nice is so good. Perfect. Perfection. He's very good. And finally, we must talk about Dallas's own, perhaps the greatest character actor of a generation, Mr. Stephen Tobolowski as max he's never bad no he's drama not- comedy doesn't matter he's always funny but even in but you know not just in this show not just in this movie but in this movie also a lot of pathos yeah and i kind of love that our detectives here you know especially hal and harvey Keitel's character but even mm-hmm. max are just like clearly there's a lot more going on here and we don't just want to you know take these women down <laughs> It's like, in fact, at every moment, there are lots of people who are just like, yeah, just like nuke them out of oblivion. And they're like, no, they're people. And they've mm-hmm. been through hell. Um, but hey, Stephen Sobolowski, he's great. All right, let's talk about our Arpons. Random people of no. How about the greatest Arpon of all time, Diana? Brad Pitt Brad as JD. Pitt. Wow. That's Brad fucking Pitt. This is his film debut, right? This is not his film debut. He did several very small roles. But this is his this. first bigger one. This is his first decent, notable role. And this is the movie that got him oh, a lot map. of the bigger starring roles. Yeah. God damn. First of all, he's so fucking hot. <laughs> he is. He With is. that accent. But he's And just, he's a baby. <laughs> he's just, he's very captivating. He's so charming mm-hmm. in the best way, especially when the twist comes and you find mm-hmm. out what he is. Sure. Well, I mean, he, he had trouble written all over him. Yeah. He, he doesn't hide it at all. But the fact the, the twist isn't that he's a con man. The twist is that he conned all of us into believing that he wasn't going to do it to her. Mm-hmm. That's the beautiful part of it is that he cons the audience. Yeah. And he's he's fucking phenomenal. Now, we have so many who could have been betters. So many. First of all, William Baldwin was the original choice here. No. Uh, he dropped out to appear in Backdraft. Brad Pitt was up for the role in that movie. Oh, okay. It George out. Clooney auditioned. Okay. Several times and was rejected several times. Yeah, right. Clooney's not... Clooney, I don't think, can pull off Southern charm quite as well. Now, he could pull off Southern Neurotic. Southern Charm, I think he could. Young Clooney, I don't know if that reads as well. No, no. His look doesn't work right. But no, he can't pull off Southern Charm. He, oh, brother, where art thou? If he's doing Southern, he gets into that nervous facial tick thing. I, I, I don't agree. Because mm. I remember when him when he was on Roseanne, and he was great. I think Southern doesn't cut it quite as well but he didn't jd doesn't have to be southern but he wasn't right for what they were thinking about so how about mark ruffalo no young mark ruffalo is not interesting 
How about Robert Downey Jr.? Also, no. Selected, but was too short next to Gina Davis. I was about to say, he doesn't match Gina Davis. He's way too short compared to Gina. Gina Davis is, what, 6'1"? She's very tall. Yeah, she's if she's if she's not six foot, she's pretty damn near it. Downey Jr. is like five six. Yeah, and like no shade to short to short gentlemen, but it's got it's got to make sense on screen. And finally, how about Christian Slater? That I could I could buy. Brad Pitt got his revenge because Brad Pitt was up for the role of JD and others. Yep, sure. Gina actually hand selected Brad Pitt. Like they went through all these people and she's like, fuck it. Show me some actors here. He looks right next to me. Do him. (laughs) Yep. He's the one I want to make out with. Let's make it happen. Then we have Lucinda Jenny as Lena, the waitress. She was in Rain Man and Practical Magic. Mm. Charlie Sexton as the singer in the bar band. Uh, He's a great Texas country singer. He played Towns Van Zant in Ethan Hawke's recent biopic Blaze. Mm. And Catherine Keener as Hal's wife. She was cast in that role and filmed it, but was cut from the final film. Hmm. That would have been a very early film role for Katherine Keener. Yeah. So, all right, on to awards, because this is Oscar season. This film was nominated for six Academy Awards. Okay. It was nominated for Best Editing, Best Cinematography. It is a gorgeous film. Yeah, it looks good. Best Actress for Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Best Actress for Gina Davis. Yep. Best Original Screenplay for Callie Curry. Mm, okay. And Best Director for Ridley Scott. Mm, okay. <laughs> the screenplay here is is what's notable because, again, even if it's uneven, the fact that it got made and the fact that it's as strong a story as it is between these two women mm-hmm. is hugely notable. And in a year where you can nominate 10 different screenplays, five original and five adapted, you really owe it to to give this movie some recognition. Yeah. I'm not mad about that at all. All right, let's move on to a little bit of trivia. Trivia. The sequence where Daryl slips on the supplies outside the garage was completely unscripted. Christopher McDonald actually slipped and fell. Hmm. However, he completely remained in character, yelling at the men working, and Ridley Scott thought it was so funny, he kept it in the final cut of the movie. Hmm. The scene where Louise grabs Thelma's headphones and scares her was also not planned. Gina was supposed to get up when Susan called her from the car, but she had the volume up too high on her Walkman and didn't hear the cue. So Susan came and grabbed her on film. (laughs) I love that. Finally, Sarandon said she added the kiss at the end as an improv. She told Gina Davis she was going to do it, and they agreed and told nobody else that they were going to kiss right before driving off. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is beautiful. It is. And because like, and it can be read either way. Yeah. And I think that's fine. <laughs> I think that's fine. I mean, I really see it as this, like, I love you. I love you so much. I don't have another way to express how much I love you other than with this kiss. I don't necessarily see it as a romantic love, but it's like, that's how much you mean to me. Yep. Absolutely. That, that's, how, that's how I see it. If someone sees it another way, go for it. I don't care. And all of this was reflective that Ridley loved suggestions from the cast. Mm-hmm. He took tons of visual cues from Susan Sarandon's suggestion, including Louise packing her shoes in plastic bags, exchanging her jewelry for the old man's hat, Mm. Louise stopping the car at night to look at the stars. All of that was Susan's idea. That's cool. And apparently that last one took half a night just to get that scene lit so you could see them properly. (laughs) Oh, wow. 
but the idea was good enough that Ridley wanted to film it. Um, Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins worked out most of the dialogue with Louise and Jimmy at the hotel room in Oklahoma City. It was originally supposed to be an impromptu wedding sequence where they had sex. And Sarandon was like, the last thing what Louise would want right now is to have sex. And told Ridley, if they did that, they would have to show Louise just losing her shit. Mm -hmm. So instead, he was like, okay, well, why don't you think of something better? And she took Tim and they just worked it out. And we get a really beautiful fucking scene. So good on you, Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon. Ridley was so amazed with Hans Zimmer's score that he used it to make the title sequence instead of over just the end credits. Mm-hmm. He, he loved it so much, he was just like, fuck it, let's just put it over everything we can. Cool. <laughs> Though he did use tons and tons of orig- just other songs, too. Mm-hmm. Five identical 1966 Thunderbird convertibles were used for the shoot. Mm-hmm. A, quote, star car, a camera car, a backup car, and two stunt cars. Huh? Both Michael Madsen and Christopher McDonald were in talks to play Harlan, the attacker outside the bar. Hmm. I'm glad they were cast in their respective roles instead. And the guy who played Harlan was cast very well. Yeah. According to Susan Sarandon, Louise's vomit was created using egg whites, which are also used for love scenes in movies, according to her. Hmm. So they get spittle. Interesting. During a flight 20 years later, Gina Davis happened to be sitting next to George Clooney. Oh. Clooney mentioned that he'd read with her for the role of JD. Davis had to unfortunately admit that she did not remember that at all. Yeah. When the film was released, the producers of a low-budget action comedy called Assault of the Killer Bimbos sought to sue the production. Okay. They only stopped their lawsuit when they realized how much the legal fees would be. But they stated that there was an obvious connection between Thelma and Louise and, let me restate the title, Assault of the Killer Bimbos. Hmm. Quote, the creator must have seen bimbos and was inspired in some way, whether consciously or not. There are just too many similarities. I mean, right down to the car they drive and the characters' names and certain plot points. It's amazing. Unquote. Mm, Okay. I'm going to go out on a limb. And say the fuckers who created Assault of the Killer Bimbos do not have an actual lake to stand on. <laughs> because I will also say, Callie Corey was writing this movie in 1984. Who's to say they didn't see that script floating around somewhere? Fair. The reaction shot of Sarandon and Davis to the tanker explosion was supposed to be genuine. Mm-hmm. Ridley is notorious for this. So I've told the story about Alien many times on this show. For this one, he rigged the tanker to explode without Susan Sarandon or Gina Davis knowing wanting to get their honest reaction. But they just stood there with their mouths open because it was so unexpected that they didn't actually react. So Ridley had to refilm the reaction. Yeah. (laughs) Which is very funny. Finally, according to the police broadcast, Thelma's date of birth was November 27th, 1956. Kelly Curie was born on November 27th, 1957. And that leads us to ratings. Ratings. For every film, we have a specific rating system. For this one, it's going to be those Thunderbird convertibles. Doesn't necessarily have to be driving off a cliff, though. I'm going to go four. Ooh, okay. Because it's just, I, I the script has some issues, the directing has some issues, but everything else is fabulous. Ah, see, I'm poised to go three and a half. Okay. Because the problems, I felt the problems a lot more. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot of the side characters 
that just don't read very well. There's some really great moments, but a lot of the side story just feels completely superfluous. And something about the directing just really feels off. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in, in talking about it, I think some of the problems I have with it, but some of it's just a gut feeling of it. It's just like, mm-hmm. this just doesn't feel quite right for this movie. Yeah. However, the whole point of the story is so good. The cast is so incredible. And the, the sheer, again, just the sheer gumption to make this fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Because it just took huge force of will and bravery on everybody's part to just shove this through the studio. That's a lot. Because <laughs> hmm. I would bet it would be hard to make this movie today, let alone 1991. Hmm. So, like, it, it's, it's a hugely influential and important movie on that front. It's just not the best movie. Okay, well, now we are going to go from the Grand Canyon... Mm-hmm. over to South Central LA. We're going to talk about a movie that, quite honestly, I probably should have already seen. Let's okay. be real. We're going to watch Boys in the Hood. Oh, okay, yeah. I have. I've, this is one I've not seen. I've heard about this movie forever. I've heard about its writer-director. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a cultural touchstone for a lot of people. Sure. And it's also just supposed to be a great movie. But yeah, I... I I know I I have no frame of reference for this movie whatsoever other than like kind of know a couple people in it and I've kind of heard about it and that's about it. Mm-hmm. So this one's going to be an interesting adventure, I feel like. Okay. Yeah. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.